0: It's my conviction, it's my belief that we need to understand salvation better. And so this morning, I want us to focus on the Christian message of salvation. There are a lot of folks who are confused about what salvation means, what it's about. It is our message. It's the message that saturates Scripture from beginning to end and all throughout. Jesus said at the end of the evening that he had spent in the home of a man by the name of Zacchaeus, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the church in Rome. And in the 10th chapter, verses 9 through 13, he said that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified. It's with the mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scriptures say, Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to study God's word for very long. You don't have to dig into scripture deeper than what the average person does. In order to discover that salvation is not just about going to church. It's not about getting religion. It's not about living a better life or turning over a new leaf or or setting out on a new beginning. Salvation is about God. God. And it's about his love for man and what he was willing to do in order to redeem man from sin, restore us back into a right relationship with him. And he does it by the working of his Holy Spirit and the testimony of his living word and his written word. He deals with people individually personally he comes into our hearts and he speaks to us with clarity and he draws us as he convicts us to sin convinces us of the savior and brings us to the place where we are prepared to repent of our sin and surrender our lives to Jesus Christ it's happened in the lives of millions probably billions across history it's happened to many of you it's happened to me but there are still billions who don't, don't know who've never had that moment never had that experience never had that meeting with Jesus now please understand I, I don't want you to think that you can do it I want you to know I understand I can't do it there's not any one of us who has within ourselves the power To save someone, to bring them to God and say, here they are, Father, take them, save them. We can't do that. It is a work of God himself. Sometimes we wonder, why does God do this? I mean, I know me. Why would he bother? He tells us. He tells us in the Bible, in 2 Peter 3, 9. He tells us that he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Repentance. That's one of those great Christianese words, isn't it? We use it in church. A lot of folks sit there, nod their heads, absolutely repent. What's repentance mean? Repentance means to turn. It means that God's spirit reveals to us that we are sinners. He convicts us of our sin. And in that moment of conviction, we realize we need to turn away from our sin, turn away from living like that. And we need to set our eyes on Jesus Christ, pursuing him with all of our heart and allowing him to lead us in the direction that we need to go. Now, I want you to hear me very clearly in what I'm about to say in this moment repentance is a necessary part of salvation without repentance there is no salvation He said, well you can't say that yes I can Because God tells us in his word that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are gone and all things become new. That means that we have turned from what we were and become what he has made us. That is an act of repentance, my friends. Now, understanding that, I want you to get this. The word salvation. We use the word a lot. Salvation means deliverance. It means safety. It means preservation. And that's the theme that the writer of the letter to the Hebrews was dwelling upon as he got into this seventh chapter. And and today, here's what's going to happen. We're going to read a few verses, but I want you to catch one verse, because that's where I'm going to spend the rest of the morning is in that one verse, all right? So we're going to start our reading in Hebrews chapter 7 at verse 22, but as we read through this to the end at at chapter, at verse 28, I want you to particularly focus on verse 22. If you've got your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. The writer says, beginning in the midst of that verse, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death, prevented them from continuing in office, but Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Now, if you would, go back and look with me at verse 25 again. When we're done, we're going to pray. We're going to move forward. Don't close your Bible. Stay with me here in verse 25, because this is the verse that we're going to focus on this morning. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning for your word, for the powerful truth that is contained therein. And I pray now that as we spend these next few moments together focused upon this one verse and the message it contains, I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts If there's someone here who does not know you, I pray that today your spirit would convict them and draw them, that today might be the day of their salvation. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, Father, I pray that you would remind us of what you have done on our behalf, and I pray that you would call us anew to share that which we have been given so graciously that others might know and have life. Father, teach us your truth, teach us your ways, but we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. The key word in verse 25 is the word save, save. The author of this letter was writing of complete salvation, Now, salvation is often used, or the word saved is often used in worldly context. We we talk about people who have been in accidents, but they were saved. We talk about people who have been in disasters, whether it's a storm or whether it's a fire or whether it's a flood, but they were saved. Now, I want you to understand something. When we use the word saved in that context, it's a temporary thing. Folks that are saved out of a storm, folks that are saved out of a fire, folks that are saved out of an accident are saved to die another day. But the saved that this writer is talking about, the saving that Jesus does, is not a temporary thing. It's not a reprieve. It's not a pardon. It is a forever salvation. And we need to understand that. As we work our way through this 25th verse, I want us to focus on what this writer reveals to us. And and can I just tell you something? I think that the writers of, of God's Word were inspired by God. I have no question, no doubt in my mind about that. But I think that so many times I read verses and I find myself thinking, boy, I bet when he was putting pen to paper and writing these words in, he didn't realize what all he was saying. He didn't understand everything that God was pouring into here, hiding in here, placing in here for us to find, to discover. And I think that's particularly true with this one verse. And and I want us to spend our time in this one verse and see if we can come to understand a little bit what he means by being saved. What he means when he talks about salvation. What do you and I need to know about salvation? Better yet, what does everybody need to know about salvation? Let's let's just focus in on this verse. You got your Bible open? Look at verse 25 with me. Let's let's understand first what salvation does. What salvation does. It saves completely. The salvation of God saves completely. Just a quick unscientific poll. How many of you in this room raise your hand if you if you would say yes? How many of you agree that heaven and hell are real places? Okay. The vast majority. Let me tell you something about heaven and hell. They are real. God has said that they are, and everything that God has said has proven to be true and is proving to be true time after time after time over and over again. He says that they are real. If we believe that heaven and hell are real, my friends, then this message of salvation, this point of being saved, is more important than anything else that the world could possibly offer to us. Let me tell you what I know about salvation. Salvation in Jesus Christ is complete. Jesus saves completely. Look at verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely. The NIV uses the word complete. The King James, the New King James, they use the word uttermost. They want you to know there is no special little speck out there of a person who is not saved. When Jesus does it, it is done to the uttermost. It is complete. It is without any exception. The concept here is completion. Final, perfect, eternal salvation. It is done never to be undone. God's salvation through Jesus Christ will alter the final destination of those who receive it. All of us are on a journey through life. It doesn't matter who you are, young, old, it doesn't matter, male, female, doesn't matter. None of that matters. We're all on a journey through life. We are here, but we're not going to stay here. Death is a reality that we just have to accept in this body, and the only way we're going to avoid that is if there's a trumpet blast and God comes to call us all back home with Him. Until that point in time, we have to understand we are living in temporal bodies. It really never struck me till I was in the eighth grade in Mr. Osterhout's history class. Now, Mr. Osterhout was an exceptional Christian gentleman. Six foot four, 275 pounds, and he was tough. But he told us one day in class, and I don't even know why it had nothing to do with history. Maybe it does. I don't know. haven't figured that part out. All I know is what he said stuck in my head, and I've never forgotten it. He said, ladies and gentlemen, the moment that you were born, you began to die. He was right. Some of us take longer to die than others It happens at appointed times. We don't know where they are, when they are, but here's the point. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, judgment. You see, we're going to make our journey through here. When this journey comes to an end, we are going to arrive at a final destination. The determination of our destination is decided in that moment when the Spirit of God speaks and calls us whether or not we are willing to place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Before that moment of calling, we are on our way to a destination where we will be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. After that moment, the decision that we make will determine whether we're going to spend eternity separated from God or eternity in the presence of God. If we are willing to repent of our sin, surrender our lives to Him, acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, we have the opportunity to change that destination and spend eternity in the presence of God in His home, a place called heaven. Now understand something. Salvation changes your outlook on things salvation will change your outlook on life whenever you don't know Jesus there are a lot of things that are important that become the priorities in your life but when you come to know Jesus your priorities change earlier I said something about Zacchaeus Jesus had spent an evening in his home and he told the people at the end of the night that he came to seek and save that which was lost but if you remember the story of Zacchaeus Zacchaeus was a tax collector and by all accounts of the folks there in town, whether it's true or not, they had all agreed and convinced themselves he was corrupt. That he was a wicked little man. That he was a thief, a stealer, and a cheat. And, and you know, they just didn't like him at all. But when Zacchaeus met Jesus, he told the Lord, he said, If I've done anything wrong, if I've taken from any man in a wrong fashion, if I've stolen from anyone, I'm going to restore it back to them. I'll restore it back to them several times over. You know what? His priorities changed. All of a sudden, getting rich, getting ahead, having a big nest egg to retire, that didn't matter anymore. What was important to him was that he knew Jesus and he was going to represent Jesus well. Your values change. Your priorities change. Everything changes when you begin to understand who Jesus is and what he's done. You realize that you're just passing through this life and you find yourself focused not on what this world has to offer, but what you can have laid up for you in the next life. Because you see, salvation will also change your outlook on death. A lot of folks are afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of dying. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. That's okay. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm a sissy. I don't want it to hurt a whole lot. <sighs> you know, I'm, I, listen, I, I, I pray on a regular basis for my father, 91 years old, that one day God's going to let him just go to bed one night and go to sleep and wake up with Jesus. But I also say, by the way, God, if you can take a little extra on, I'd like that for myself too. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sissy, I don't want to hurt, I don't want to agonize, I don't want to go through, through pain, I don't want any of that. But, but I also know this, being dead, I'm not afraid of that. And the reason I'm not is because I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And He has promised me that He was going to prepare a place for me. And if He went and prepared a place for me, He was going to come again and take me to be with Him. So that where He is, there I can be. And that, my friends, takes all the fear out of it. I'm going to be with Jesus. Now, for people who don't know Jesus, there's still some fear. But i got good news for you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15 It tells us that through salvation, Jesus sets free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I'm just telling you, you meet Jesus, you give your heart to Jesus, you become a child of God through His Son, Jesus, and the fear of death goes away. I'm not saying you're going to look for it, rush to it, try to make it happen any quicker. I'm not telling you, you want to hurt and suffer getting there. I'm just telling you, you're not going to be afraid of it. Why? Because salvation saves completely. Now, uh, let me get back into verse 25 and let's talk about the second portion of this, if I might. Because I think that secondly, we need to know who can be saved. Who can be saved? Who can be saved? Look at verse 25 again. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Who's the him? Jesus, this whole passage, we read the whole passage. It started up in verse 22. Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Jesus is the him, all right? So those who come to God through Jesus, he is able to save completely. And this is so important. And I want to make sure you get it. There is one, 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 one. There is one one singular requirement for salvation. And that is that you come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The world doesn't function like that. Hey, students, you want to get into a certain college or university, you're going to have to get a certain score on your aptitude tests. I'm just telling you now, your SAT, your ACT, you better get it up there. Or you're not going to get into the school you want into. Okay? Some of you maybe are, are craftsmen, tradesmen, and you had to pass certain skill, skill tests, level tests to prove that you had the skills to be certified to do the work that you wanted to do. You have to meet the world's expectation. It may be that you're sitting here and you know what, you got to where you are in life because you had some powerful people connections. You knew the right people in the right places in order to be able to leapfrog over other people and get to where you were going in life. But I want you to understand, none of those things matter. Your test scores don't matter. Your skill levels don't matter. The people you know don't matter. The only thing that is going to get you into the place where you need to be with God the Father is to come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, God set that up. That's not my thing. That's not our church's thing. That's a God thing. He's the one who established this methodology. And can I just tell you something? I'm so thankful he did. The world complicates everything. God does not complicate things, he keeps it simple. The world would tell us, well, okay, now you've got to go to church and you've got to attend a certain kind of church and you've got to be baptized and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And on and on and on and on and on it goes. Folks, I want to tell you something. That's not what God says. God says, those who come to me through him. Those of you who come to me through my son. That's all it's about. There's no age requirement. As long as you're old enough to understand the basic facts. There is no economic requirement. You're not required to purchase a membership or or to give a certain amount or, or, or whatever. There is no secret handshake. Or secret rituals. Everything is done in open, in public, except in some places where persecution is so intense that the church meets in secret in order to preserve their lives so that they can continue to witness and share the gospel. I mean, to me, it's really simple. Look up there. Those. those. Who, who are those? Whosoever. Anybody. Everybody, I want you to do me a favor. Put your finger there in Hebrews chapter 7. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it. And, and, and go back to Romans chapter 10, to the passage I, I shared with you earlier in opening. Let's, let's look at that for a minute, because I want to make sure you understand who those are. Are you there with me? All right, find verse 10. Find verse 9, verse 10. There we go. Let's start there. We read verses 9 through through 11. Let's look at these verses for a moment. Verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... Now, that's a pretty cut-and-dried and and simple thing, isn't it? Do you believe that Jesus is who Jesus said He is? Is He Lord? Do you believe the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I I know that the world tries to tell people it didn't really happen. I want to tell you something. There is more historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there are for many other things that we have in our history books. Seen by multiple people appearing time after time after time after his resurrection and then appearing to over 500 people at one time. I mean, the historical confirmation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is incredible. Do you believe that to be true? If you do, then he tells you here in verse 10. For it's with the heart that you believe. And that's where justification takes place. That's where you're made just in the sight of God. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If you believe that he is who he says he is in your heart, then you need to speak it. You need to acknowledge it. You need to confess that, to profess that. Make your belief known. Now, I'm going to skip over verse 11, not because it's not important, but because we've well, we got other things to do today, all right? But look with me at verse 12, will you? What does verse 12 tell us? For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. Now, let let me just hammer this first part for a second. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. I want you to get this in your heads, folks. It does not matter what nationality you are. It does not matter what kind of blood flows through your veins. It does not matter what you identify yourself as. It does not matter what your skin pigmentation is. It does not matter what language you speak. There is in God's sight no difference between Jew and Gentile. What that means is Jew and everybody else in the world. That's all of us. And then he says this, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Listen, it, God does not care what you've done. He does not care where you've been. He doesn't care what kind of person you were, or, or the things you said, or the things you were involved in. Please understand, Jesus died for all of that. He knows you're a sinner. He knows we're all sinners. We're all guilty of falling short of God's plan for us. And yet, he is Lord of All. He is Lord of all, and He richly blesses all who call on Him. Now drop down to verse 13. Drop down to verse 13 where it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's answer. The question, one time, once and for all, and settle this so we can move forward. Who can be saved? Everyone. Everyone. How do you identify that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? If you want to chase it back where we were in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, who is it? Those who come to God through Him, through Jesus. Everyone, those who will come. Now, You know what, I've shared this before and people just kind of look at me and say, that's, okay. that's good, that's cool, I get it preacher. But now, I'm going to throw a wrench into the gears for you, preacher. I'm going to mess you up so bad, you can't get out of this. And here is the wrench that they always present. Are you prepared? Here's what it is. But, can I lose my salvation? Let me take you back to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Now, first off, let me just tell you, this is going to be the short answer, all right? This can I lose my salvation thing, that's a whole other series of sermons that we're not going to right now. So let me just give you the short answer to the question, can I lose my salvation? The short answer is this. No! But preacher, you don't understand. What if I... What if I struggle? What if I struggle with guilt over over my past actions? What if I struggle with with the, the same things that I had in my life before? My words, my lifestyle, my language. I want you to look at verse 25 and look at these words. He always lives to intercede for them. That's you. But you don't get it, preacher. What if I fall back into old friends and old places and old lifestyles and old bad habits and old sins? My friends, repent and know that he does what? Always lives to intercede for them, for you. Preacher, I trust him. But you don't understand the fears and the anxieties and the doubts That are overwhelming to me. And and I just don't feel like he's there. I feel like God's abandoned me. I think he's left me alone. No, I want you to know something. He does not leave you alone. He is still sitting on the throne right now in this moment. He has never gotten off the throne. He will not leave that throne. Do you know why? Because he always lives to intercede for them. That's you. Grasp the truth of this statement, brothers and sisters. He always lives to intercede for them. Do you know why he always lives to intercede for them? So that they will never lose what they have. Anytime you fail, anytime you fall, when you confess that, he says, Father, I got this one. As a child of God... As a born-again, blood-bought, redeemed saint of the living God, Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, is at the right hand of the Father today and every day, prepared to intercede for you and for me at any moment when we cry out to Him in repentance and faith. It doesn't matter if you live five seconds more. It doesn't matter if you live five years more. It's not going to matter if you live five decades more. And if by some miracle of science, somebody in this room lives for five more centuries, it's still not going to matter. He will still be on the throne. He will still be ready to intercede at every moment. Do you know why? Because God's word has stated this simple fact. He always lives to intercede. My friend, no matter who you are, There is only one way for you to come to God and find life and hope and peace and forgiveness. And that's through Jesus Christ. There's not any other way. You read the Gospels and here's what you're going to read. You're going to read that he is the door. He is the gate. He is the path. I mean, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, we're all sinners. God's word says it. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm one of us. God's word says that we are all sinners, and sin must be paid for, and the price tag is death. And Jesus took our sin on himself when he went to the cross, and he paid the price for us. And he offers to us a receipt. And written on that receipt is these words, paid in full. It's a gift. It's a gift given to anyone and everyone who's willing to receive it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't make him give it to you, but you can receive it as a gift. Have you received that gift? Brothers and sisters, if you received that gift, why in the world aren't you telling anybody about it? If you believe that heaven and hell are real, And you know that death is coming. Why aren't you telling people and trying to get them to know what they need to know in order to have the opportunity to have their eternal destination changed? If you haven't received that gift, I don't think you're here this morning by chance. I don't think you just woke up and said, I think I'll go to church. I think the Spirit of God prompted you and brought you to this place. Because today He wants to offer you a gift. And that gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father. There's just one question I have to ask you. Will you come to Jesus? Would you come to the altar and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself, but I know you can save me. And So, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin to you, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And to wash my sin away, make it like it never was. I'm going to turn from that sin. I'm going to to chase after you, God. With every ounce of my being, with everything I know and everything I can learn, I'm going to chase after you. Because I want you to turn me into the image of Jesus. My friend, if you'll ask him, he'll do it. Richard, it sounds too simple. I know. That's what's so amazingly cool about it. But he tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you have to do it his way. Will you do it? Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation. And it's God's invitation to you. It's his invitation to you saying, will you receive my gift? Will you let me apply the blood of my son to your sin? My friend, if you're willing to do that today, I want to invite you in a moment. After I pray, we stand, we begin to sing. Would you just come and take me by the hand and say, preacher, I want that relationship. I need that gift. I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I want to help you find your way into the presence of the Father today. It is the best place you'll ever be. Maybe you're already my brother, sister in Christ. You've received that gift, but perhaps this morning you're sitting here and saying, why haven't I told someone? That's a really good question, and God's wanting to know that too, by the way. Today, would you ask him to lay someone on your heart? Would you ask him to show you someone, someone around you, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe someone you work with or go to school with, maybe, maybe it's someone that you just run into on a regular basis. Maybe you've known them for years and years, but you don't really have a close friendship with them. You just know them. They know you. Could God use you to make a difference in their life? I don't know what God's speaking to you, but I do know this. If he's speaking to you and directing you and calling you, I plead with you, hear his voice. Be obedient. Do what he calls you to. And you'll discover blessings like you've never known them. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, how how potent, how powerful it is to read one verse and realize that there's the whole message. That you save completely those who come to God through Jesus. At that same Jesus lives today and every day to intercede on our behalf. Father, today there's someone in this room who doesn't know you. Someone who needs to come to God through Jesus. I pray for them. Draw them to yourself. Father, change their destination. Change the way they see life, the way they see death today. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters too. Heaven and hell are real. Days are growing short. Death is waiting. Eternity looms ahead. Don't let us be satisfied to have our destination set and to leave others hanging. Father, call us. Challenge us. Move us. Father, whatever you do, I pray that all the glory, all the honor will be directed to you. That our hearts, our minds will be turned to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, whose name we pray in. Amen.